you know, most people, we spend time at the beginning of the year just trying to figure out uh, what are we going to do this year? What are we going to do this year different than we did last year? What are we going to do this year more maybe than we did last year? And we have all of these um, opportunities to renew. Now, we, we call this series Re-Up. You know, you, get, you know what re-up is, don't you? You re-sign up for something you already signed up for, like your gym membership. Some of you done re-up your gym membership, right? You're going to re-up your streaming service. Some of you re-up in the food delivery service where they just bring dinner to the front porch, you know, you, and, they, right, and you just bring it in and cook it and act like you did something. You know what I'm talking about? And, and, and then some of us, are, uh, are you re-up to the grocery delivery service. You know, there's all these services and things. Maybe you re-up your phone contract and you get a new iPhone or whatever. Uh, how, how many droid people we got? Anybody, anybody with droid other than me? I got a droid. Anybody else in the room have a droid? Don't be, I know you've been shamed. Don't be embarrassed. It's okay. It's okay. There's one in the back door. Thank you. I appreciate it. I see that hand. Appreciate that. Um, so... I just want to uh, encourage you that these, this season of re-upping is oftentimes not about um, recommitting to, or committing to things that you've never committed to before, right? You had a cell phone before 2024. Most of you had a cell phone before 2024. So if you get a new contract, you just get a new phone. But what these companies and kind of the way our contracts work is they try to get you to recommit to the same thing for another season, like maybe an insurance contract or an employee or in the military. I lived in a military community twice, and oftentimes, those of you who've served, you know you've enlisted, and then what do you do? You re-enlist, right? So it's not new things. It's the same things, but with a new commitment. And so the Bible has words that it uses for this, like recommit, rededicate, renew at Kingwood. We often say it like this, go deeper. How many of you are ready to go deeper in 2024 with what God wants you to do? You ready to go deeper? That's what we're going to be talking about. So I want to take you to um, 1 Kings in the Old Testament, uh, in seven, chapter 7, 8, and 9. You can read that if you'd like, or 2 Chronicles 6. That's where the passage is. But what I want to do is just set the background for you so you know where we're going. What happened is Israel had built a temple. King Solomon had rebuilt the temple in Israel, and they were about to dedicate it, okay? And so there was this uh, great ceremony and this great celebration, and there's no way for me to overestimate for you how important the temple was to Israel, this season of completion, it signified a brand new era that would come in Israel's life. And this was the fulfillment of not just King Solomon's dream, but his father, King David's dream. It was a generational dream that had come to pass. People had heard all of their life. One day the temple will be rebuilt in Jerusalem. And, and now it's happening. And so this is a gigantic event. It was a huge celebration that took 14 days. You think you've been to a long building dedication. This took 14 days. And they sacrificed 22,000 cattle and 120,000 sheep and goats. This was a once-in-a-lifetime event. And it was not just a dedication of the building of the temple of God. It was a dedication of the people themselves. They were rededicating themselves to him. They, they re-upped. So before the temple was even finished, 
Solomon took a step of dedication that was important, and we're going to be looking at this celebration and this prayer that Solomon offered, and we're going to be gleaning what might that mean to us in, 20, in the 21st century. So here's the first one. I want to read quite a few passages for you today to give you the background. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 1. We're going to skip around a little bit and, and uh, move through the story a little faster. Then King Solomon summoned into his presence at Jerusalem the elders of Israel, all the heads of the tribes, and the chiefs of the Israelite families to bring up the ark of the Lord's covenant from Zion, the city of David. So this is like he pulled everybody who had authority in the nation. He called them all together. Verse 3, when all the elders of Israel had arrived, the priests took up the ark and they brought up the ark of the Lord and the tent of meeting and all the sacred furnishings in it. The priests and Levites carried them up. Then the priests then brought the ark of the Lord's covenant to its place in the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place, and put it beneath the wings of the cherubim. Verse 9, there was nothing in the ark except the two stone tablets that Moses had placed in it at Horeb, where the Lord made a covenant with the Israelites after they came out of Egypt. So, we get a New Testament parallel to this Old Testament event. This Old Testament event is, we've rebuilt a temple in the city of Jerusalem. This is the temple of God. The priests and the elders and all the authorities, they bring the Ark of the Covenant up into this new temple. By the way, the temple wasn't even finished yet. They brought, it was so important to them, they brought the ark before they even finished the building. And they put it in the heart of the building. They put it in the holy of holies. They put it in the, the inner place. And that ark represented the presence of God. So it's like saying this, when the ark, where the ark was, that's where the presence of God was. So when the ark arrived at the new temple, the statement that's being made is, this is God's house. So let me jump to the New Testament and show you how that works with us. The Bible says this building is not where God lives. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So when you became a Christian, the Holy Spirit moved into your temple, and it's a statement saying this is God's house. You are God's house. You are the dwelling place of God. So what we're going to do is see the parallels between that temple and this temple between that dedication and what God might be calling us to rededicate to. So the ark also only had one thing in it. It had the tablets of Moses, which represented the covenant of God with Israel in writing. Now watch. At the heart of the temple was the ark, the presence of God, the covenant of God with humanity. In the ark was the written covenant. And so here's what's happened. In the very heart of every believer, the presence of the Holy Spirit dwells, and the Bible says Jesus would write his word on our heart. He would write his law on our heart. And so what's happened is in the Old Testament, we have the written covenant of God. In the New Testament, we have the written covenant of God called the New Testament, which is a covenant of grace that Jesus has invited you into by his sacrificial death and resurrection so that you might be in a covenant of grace with him. So this new covenant is given in a written word. So here's what my encouragement to you is. 
This was so important to Solomon as the king of Israel that this ark would be brought up with this written word in it. I'm going to encourage you and challenge you in 2024, the most important re-up you can make is not to the gym, it's not to a new iPhone, it is to the written word of God. That's the most important re-up you can make. And I'm going to, I'm going to show that to you. So... Rather than, you know, your fantasy sports league, the written, the written word of God. Let me show it to you, okay? I want to challenge you to re-up, and we'll, and we'll talk about why. Here's the three reasons why you should rededicate yourself to the word of God in 2024. Number one, the Bible will reveal God to you. Now, there, there's a lot of ways that God reveals himself, but the primary way is through his word, and I'm gonna show you that. Uh, God reveals himself through beauty, he reveals himself through mystery, he reveals himself through the church, he reveals himself through inner promptings, but all of those revelations are incomplete without his word. So let me give you an example. One of my favorite ways that God reveals himself is through creation. I love to see the beauty of a, you know, like a national park or the sky or a beautiful river or a mountain or a beautiful sunshiny day with a blue sky. I look at a tree and I say, you know what it tells me? God put that there. <laughs> the intricacies of a tree and a plant tells you there's a designer who set the DNA of that plant in place that makes it what it is. And in the fall, we live in one of the parts of the country that you can see this beautiful foliage and the leaves change and all of this. But that tells me something. But when I look at the Bible, it tells me more about that tree and that creator. Look for the, look for the image of the tree in this verse, Psalm 1, 1 through 3. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. So basically this verse is saying avoid the way of sinners, dedicate yourself to the word of God and you will be like a tree that will flourish and you will be healthy and you will be fruitful and you will produce fruit. Everything comes back to a, to a believer to the written word of God. So maybe you're thinking, yeah, but you know what? Jesus was the greatest revelation the world has ever known. I agree with you. Jesus is the greatest revelation the world has ever known. Here's the thing, though. He lived 2,000 years ago in another country and spoke a different language, and almost everything you know about him came from the Bible. How would you know if you didn't read it? How would you, I didn't live then, you didn't live then. How would you know? God also reveals himself through the Holy Spirit, but we wouldn't even know what that looks like if the Bible didn't tell us. The Bible will reveal God to you. You ever have somebody, man, I wish I just knew God's will. I wish I just knew God better. You can. <laughs> he wrote down so many things that help us get a whole picture of who he is. Number two, the Bible will transform you. Do you know the Bible has a profound impact 
on your spiritual life, on your thought life, on your emotional life, and on your physical life, and research shows it. Listen to, the, listen to what research says. Someone who reads the Bible four or more times a week is 59% less likely to view pornography. This is what research says. 74% less likely to gamble. 407% more likely to memorize scripture. 228% more likely to share their faith with others. 231% more likely to disciple others. 30% less likely to struggle with loneliness. Who are the people at Kingwood Church that are sharing their faith? Who are the people at Kingwood Church that are discipling others? We don't have to guess. It's the people who are reading the Bible. Because that's the impact that the Word of God has on your life. A few years ago, a study was done in America of a thousand churches of every type. And the question was being asked, what are the catalysts, what are the things that a believer can do that will most leverage their spiritual growth, that will most help them grow spiritually? And you know what the study found out after studying a thousand churches all over the country of every type. The number one activity that you and I as a believer can do that will grow our faith is to have personal engagement with the Bible. That's the number one thing. Now, what does personal engagement mean? Let's talk about it. Jesus actually told a, a parable about this exact thing that we can draw so much truth from for a lot of areas of life. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Now, if you grew up in church, you heard this story as, you know, in children's church, if you're old enough, on felt board, you know, or puppets, right? This has been around. But let me just try to summarize the story here for you. This story is about two people who had almost everything in common. They were both builders. They were both trying to build a house. They both heard Jesus' words. And they both endured a storm. But there was one difference, and that difference made all the difference. And here it is. One put Jesus' words into practice and the other one didn't, and the outcome was enormously different. So let me just kind of give it to you in a little formula. One would hear and do nothing. When you add doing nothing to hearing, you get a sand-like, fragile foundation for your life. When you add to hearing, obeying and applying, you get a rock-like foundation for your life. And it might not, the house on the outside will look the same. And it'll, it'll look the same, it'll feel the same. It, you won't be able to tell the difference until a storm comes. And one's gonna stand and the other one's not gonna stand. And so what is the point for all of this? Reading the Bible alone won't make much difference in your life. 
Just reading it won't make much difference. But personally engaging the Bible will change your life. So when you open the Bible and you read it and you start to ask the question, what does this mean not to me? What does this mean for me? Like, how would I live this truth out in my life? How do I live this truth in my circumstances? And you start to wrestle with it, and you go, man, I'm not sure when this was written that they thought about this, you know? I'm not sure that when this was written, that the, all, all the complexities that are going on around me, you know, this is a unique situation. And you start to tug a war with the truth, and you start to wrestle with the truth, and when you do that, it shapes your soul. And you know what happens? You come up with better answers. Not better answers than the Bible has, better answers than you had. And it starts to refine the truth of Jesus in your heart, and it shapes your soul. And it's like a spark happens inside of you, and you begin to grow because you're wrestling with the truth. I see this in missionaries all the time. They're, they're, they're gathered in the warmth of the American church or their home church. They're surrounded by crowds of people, and they're cheered on. Yeah, go serve Jesus, you know, all of this. And then all of a sudden, they're thrust out into a field, <laughs> into a location, into a culture. The, the majority of people don't have a Christian background. They don't serve God. Maybe they have a different religion. Maybe they think differently. Whatever, they're thrown in there, and then they're, all of a sudden, they're confronted with, how does the Bible make sense now. How do I live my relationship with Jesus out and the truth of his word in this culture? And you know what happens as they tug a war with that and the years go by? Man, they come back with so many powerful answers. They come back with so much powerful truth because their soul has been shaped in the wrestling. And that's what happens to you and I. Now, after Solomon dedicated the temple. After the, all the people who were clapping and cheering as the ark went up into the temple and after it was finished and after all the celebration was done and all the people had gone home and all the elders had gone home and all the prayers had been prayed and all the, all the songs had been sang, after it was all over, King Solomon had a dream. God gave him a dream. And in that dream, there was a promise and a warning. And the promise sounded like this. If you are faithful to me, the, the throne of Israel will rule forever. And then here's what the warning sounds like. 1 Kings 6, uh, 9, 6 through 8. But if you or your descendants turn away from me and do not observe the commands and decrees... I have given you and go off to serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land I've given them and will reject this temple I've consecrated for my name. Israel will then become a byword and an object of ridicule among all peoples. What's the, what's the message in the dream? What's the message of the warning? The message of the warning is this. There is no substitute for obedience. It doesn't matter. You, to Solomon, you just built the greatest temple the world has ever seen. People came from other nations of the world to see the temple of Solomon. It was the wonder of the world. And what's the warning from God? It's irrelevant if you don't obey. It doesn't mean anything. Solomon, we'll read later on in this series, Solomon knelt and offered one of the most beautiful prayers in the entire Old Testament. And what does the dream say? doesn't matter how good the prayer was if you don't obey. 
What's the message to us? It doesn't matter that you hear. It's not going to make much difference if you hear. You, 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 you can be one of the greatest worshipers in our church. You can have one of the best voices. You can offer your talent to God over and over and over. You can give however much money you want to give to the church. You can serve until, you, until you've worn yourself out. But there's no substitute for obedience. <laughs> there is no substitute. Nothing will take its place. No, you can be the greatest prayer warrior in our church. You can pray up a storm. I mean, pray up a tornado, an F5. But if you don't obey, if you don't apply, if you don't put into practice, if you don't do what you hear from the Holy Spirit through his word, it doesn't matter. You're on a sandy foundation. It's not going to stand. It's not hearers who have a firm foundation. It's doers. The doers of the word. So I hope, and my invitation to you and challenge to you is, is that in 2024, you're going to have a Bible reading plan. You're going to have a plan to read. I mean, you have a plan to work out. You have a plan to eat. You have a plan for streaming services. You have a plan for groceries. You have a plan for a new iPhone. You have a, there's so many plans that we've subscribed to. Do you have a plan to read the Bible and apply it? Okay? So let's talk about that for a minute. Uh, one of the popular Bible reading plans is, you know, read the Bible through in a year. And that's a great plan, and I'm all for it. Here's my only concern. Are you, are you just reading it, or are you reading it and doing it? Because that's a lot of reading, that's a fast-paced lot. I read the Bible through in a year once. It took three years. <laughs> you know, I, that's not my jam. I'm for it. I think it's a great plan. My only question to those of you who are doing it is, are you just reading the prescribed amount of Scripture every day, closing the book, checking the box, and you're done? Do you have an intentional plan to do what you're reading. Because if you don't, you may become more familiar with the events of Scripture, but it might not make much difference in your life. So uh, one of the things that we've done in King, at Kingwood is we have adopted a method of reading the Bible called SOAP. And I'm not saying it's perfect, and I'm not saying it's the only one. It might not even be the best one, but it's a good one. <laughs> and in our devotional um, We've, we show you how to do it. There's an outline. There's all that stuff there. Basically, it says this. Scripture, observation, application, prayer. Here's what, it, here's what it means. It ties together the activities of reading and doing, of reading and putting into practice. So here's how it works. Let's say you're reading 10 verses, and what you do is you read those 10 verses, and then you narrow in on the one or two verses, maybe three, that stuck out to you. And in our devotional, what you do is you just write those three down. So, okay, here's, here's the verses. I'm just going to write them here. These are the, that's the verse that really stuck out to me. Why did that verse stick out to me? Is there something God's trying to tell me through that verse that I need to know? 
So under observation, then you write, what did you observe? Who's in the passage? What is it about? What does it say? What is it saying? What truth is in it? What did you observe? And then under application, now here's where it gets good. You start to write down, how can I apply this today? You see the power of that? How can I live? It's not about getting the word of God in you. It's about getting the word of God out of you. How can I live this out today? That's application. And then after that, we all need a prayer. Because <laughs> that's you say, oh God. <laughs> what I just read, you know, some of those you're going to go, oh yeah. Some of them you're going to go, that's hard. That's hard to do. How, Holy Spirit, would you help me? This truth that you've given to me today. Holy Spirit, would you help me to live it out? I want to be as much like Jesus as I can be. I want to be as much like Jesus for my wife, my husband, my kids, my employer, my employee, my neighbor, my friends at church, my church family, the world. I want, I want to be as much like Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you help me today to live this out? Can I tell you, if you do that, just like we've got seven, we got one for every day for 20 days, but I'm telling you, if you just live that out, Three, four, five days a week? And you can't imagine the change that would come in, in time. The Bible will reveal God to you, and the Bible will transform you. Here's the third one. The Bible will protect you. Well, what do you need protection from? Well, we have an enemy, the Bible teaches us, called Satan. And his primary method of... of um, Hurting you, harming you, blowing up what God wants to do, enacting chaos on the world is through lying. He is the father of lies, and we live in a world of lies. And he attacks our mind with lies because we are guided more by our thoughts than we are anything else. So if you want to know what you really believe, don't look at what you say, look at what you do. Because your actions won't won't, they'll give it away. If you want to know what somebody actually believes, don't look at what they say, look at what they do. Because their actions will prove you act on what you really believe. And sometimes it's good to just kind of watch your own actions because you go, I didn't know I believed that until I acted like that. Now, now what, where's that coming from? This is what happened in the Garden of Eden when Satan wanted to uh, deceive mankind. He got Adam and Eve in the garden and he first had to get them to think wrong so he could get them to act wrong. So he sold them a lie that was po poised as a greater truth. You know what that Satan does that a lot of times? He acts like, oh, no, no, no. That, that stuff that God told you, that stuff that Jesus told you, that stuff that's in the Bible, yeah, yeah, that's good, but it's old. It was written a long time ago, and it's old-fashioned, and it doesn't apply anymore, and we're smarter than that now in technology and medicine and education and blah, 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 blah. Here's a greater truth, shazam. Here's a greater truth. That's what he sells. That's what he did to Adam and Eve. Did God say don't eat from this tree? Let me give you a greater truth. What God didn't want you to know is he doesn't want you to be like him. Caught him. We caught the man behind the curtain pulling the little levers. And who he really caught, he didn't catch God. He caught Adam and Eve in a trap. And that's what happens to us when we 
when, when we aren't protected in our mind by the word of God because the Satan attacks our mind, he preys on our emotions, he preys on our weak moments, and he fills our culture with lies. And what we believe matters because when we believe the wrong thing, it ruins our lives, it ruins our relationships, and it ruins our relationship with God. I want you to look with me for a, a minute at this statistic. By the time a student graduates from high school, they will have watched 16,000 hours of media. And by the way, this is an old number, and I think it's probably a lot higher. Over 16,000. They will have spent 14,000 hours in school, but worshiped in church only 1,500 hours. So when you get to a point in your life that you have a tough decision to make or you're discouraged or you face a crisis, what resources do you have to draw from? Here's what you have to draw from. Over 30,000 hours of what the culture says and only about 1,500 hours of what Jesus says and what's happening is, is we're being drowned in an information tsunami. And Now you may be saying, should we just go to church every day? No, <laughs> we can't do that. It'd kill us all. But what you have to do, listen, what you have to do is outside of church, you've got to have a personal engagement with God's word because it will protect your mind and your heart and your soul and your eternity and your relationship. But you, we've, got to, we've got to push them numbers up somehow. Well, 1,500's not going to get it. What are we going to do? We're going to have to personally engage God's word ourselves. You know, I, I've been always uh, struck by Jesus' interaction with Satan when he was on earth. Satan tried to attack Jesus' mind at least three times that we know of. And, and I've always been amazed at Jesus' response. Let me show you how he responded in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus answered, where is it? Where? It's written. Jesus, the Son of God, the second member of the Trinity, God in the flesh, come to earth when he was attacked in his mind by the enemy in a weak moment of fasting. He said, you're going to bring that to me? Let me bring something back to you. It is written. Look, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Verse 7, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Verse 10, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus protected himself with God's word and he basically said, you're speaking lies to me because the truth is written and I read it. Right? So here's my challenge to you, okay? Before you re-up on a fantasy sports league, before you sign up for something, Man, put the spiritual in front of the physical and say, this year, this year, this year, by God's grace, I'm, I'm going to rededicate myself. We're not talking about 
legalism. We're not talking about religious. We're not talking about Phariseeism. We're not talking about law. We're talking about in the covenant of grace, underneath the gentle hand of the shepherd, I'm going to recommit myself to reading and applying his word because my soul is transformed as I do. You want to know one of the things we can do to combat mental health? Read and apply the word. You're not going to read it and apply it one time and it's like fireworks are going to go off and it's going to change everything. But as it becomes a rhythm and as you wrestle with and chew on his word over time, man, his word is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. And he said, the earth and heaven will pass away, but my word will never pass away. It will never pass away. So it takes three weeks to start a new habit. Look what we did. Takes three weeks. Takes three weeks to break a bad habit. And maybe we could do both. I I just can't I can't invite you more. I can't I can't I can't challenge you more. Just jump in. You've got 21 devotions already set for you. Start tomorrow. Now here's the question, what do you do when 21 days is over? Can I just tell you, there's an unlimited amount of resources online. <laughs> the Bible app is amazing. Find a Bible reading plan. People ask me sometimes, what's the best Bible reading plan? What's the, you know, the, I, I, I went through that for years as a young believer because I didn't know, I didn't, I wasn't raised in a Christian home, I didn't know all this work. I thought, this is God's word and this is God, I wanna do this, you know, perfect. And I was always looking for what's the, you know, I've been a Christian, I don't know, 35 years. I've never found a perfect Bible reading plan. Never found one. Let me tell you the best Bible reading plan. I'm going to tell you the best. You, you, you might want to write this down. I'm, I'm about to give you the number one best Bible reading plan in world history. The one that you'll do the longest. the one that you'll keep doing. If it's too hard and you quit, what good was it? My concern for you is not that you'll you, you, you read too little, it's you won't read at all. Right? So, maybe some of you are here and you say, you know what, uh, this is a lot. <laughs> this is new to me. Man, I, you know, I'm just been to Kingwood a little while or a week or two or it's your first Sunday or I just came to faith or whatever. Hey, let me give you a great word of encouragement, okay? Your invitation's not to re-up. You're just upping. You're not re-upping. You're just up. So keep it real simple. Keep it real simple. It would be better for you to read 12 verses all year and apply them than it would be to read the whole Bible and do none of it. Right, So my encouragement to you, I'd say this, the book of John. If you slowly read through the entire book of John for all of 2024, after 21 days is over, 
it would be better for you than it would be to try to find the perfect Bible reading plan or how much can you read or whatever. So you have to find really kind of what works for you and, and keep it there, okay? Would you stand with me this morning? Tomorrow we start. 21 days. And the worship team's coming to lead us. And, um, and as they do, would you, would you just close your eyes for a minute and let's just invite the Lord in this song. Holy Spirit, would you, would you help me to hear your voice? Would you help me to know your calling and your drawing, your wooing? You're pulling me close. You're inviting me into more than it might be things that I've done. It might be things that I already know, but you're calling me to know them fresh. <laughs> because your mercy's new every morning. So Lord, we just ask you during this song and our prayer time this morning, God, invite us again. Invite us to, to rededicate, to really move close to you.